Welcome to the Star Wars Podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our podcast covering Tales of the Jedi and the season wrap-up feedback from Andor. We've been catching up on our Star Wars lore. John has been watching Rebels and Clone Wars. I've just finished Bad Batch Season 1. We both watched all six episodes of Tales of the Jedi and have some things to say. After that, we'll catch up on some Andor feedback. Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to starwars@thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those emails to include in future Star Wars-related podcasts. If you want to talk Star Wars with us sooner, join us over at the Bald Move Discord, link in the description below, and at baldmove.com. We have a dedicated Star Wars channel, and each show and episode has its own moderated thread. So, you can jump in at any time without worrying about spoilers if you're still catching up. If you're enjoying our coverage of Star Wars or any of the other shows we're covering, and you would like to support us directly, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you can subscribe today and get early and ad-free access to every episode of all of our podcasts. One more quick ask, please take a moment and rate and review our podcast really helps us get in the Apple podcast charts, which helps more people find our podcast, which makes us uh, able to make more podcasts. Yeah. A couple of quick programming notes now, and check the end of the podcast for a more detailed list of what's happening in the Bald Move universe. Starting January 15th, Jim and Aaron are going to be covering an adaptation of the video game of the same name, The Last of Us, over on HBO. As well, Maester Anthony is continuing his Electric Bukaloo read-through series of The Clash of Kings. Our plans for January include covering the Netflix show Kaleidoscope, which drops January 1st. It's an eight-episode experimental show, and we'll have updates on how we'll be covering it once we start covering it. Our last podcast of 2022 will drop this Saturday with episode two of our Silmarillion stories. We had a long conversation with returning Tolkien scholar Marilyn R. Bukila. All right, David, a lot of housekeeping there, but important stuff to get there. But now we need to talk about some lightsabers. So what do you think about Tales of the Jedi? Well, I have to confess, as some folks know, that I am just a casual fan of the Star Wars universe. Saw the films back in 77, and uh, I've been watching some more of the recent television shows, but I never, the, the animated series just sort of it was a missing for me. And um, given that Andor has really reignited our interest and passion for Star Wars, we're jumping back into it. I thought that this was a, a fun way for myself to get into the animation vibe of things. And I like the fact that we had these short, um, very to-the-point stories. Um, and I think they're obviously laying down a bunch of stuff that will be helpful meta context for what we have in the especially the tv pipeline yeah especially with ahsoka yeah absolutely yeah i mean these were really ahsoka centric weren't they yeah they were and i'm i'm curious to see how you felt as we go through about ahsoka since you have not watched the animated series where she's more prominently featured right what did you take uh take away from um these six episodes it was definitely not what i was expecting because Uh Everyone's talking about how they're shorts, they're 15 minutes long, they're just fun little stories, and I actually thought it was a really beautifully done sort of juxtaposition of two Jedi, two Jedi struggling with the status, the state of the Jedi Order Uh in very different ways, and two different outcomes with those two Jedi. Right. And Dooku 
is such a great gray character in the Star Wars universe that I think was underutilized in the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Say more. And this really... So, I'm going to call him the Saruman <laughs> of Star Wars, and not just because Christopher <laughs> Lee plays him. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's really like he is a man who thought he could do the right thing using the tools of the evil people. Uh-huh. Call back to what Luthen says in yes, Andor. Yes, absolutely. But he just falls further and further down the dark side, falls further and further into corruption until he's unrecognizable from the man he once was. But you can see the darkness in him from the beginning. Uh-huh. But I think that this was a great way to put this path next to Ahsoka's path of, I'm becoming disillusioned with the Jedi, but I'm well. still going to do the right thing. Uh-huh. Is it, uh, would it be a hot take to say that I've never liked Dooku's lightsaber? Really? You don't like the curved lightsaber? No, no. I think that's just weird. It just, like, oh, for I me, love it. when I imagine myself trying to hold that, I just, it like that curve, just like, I don't know, it, it messes with me. I love it. Okay. And not hard disagree. Okay. It's super cool. <laughs> right I in Star Wars with the Lorehounds. Yeah. Yeah. So Ahsoka's an interesting character. The, I knew she was around, and then I guess it was season two of The Mandalorian, we really get to spend some time with her, and I think Rosario Dawson is an excellent actor to play the Ahsoka character, um, and they really did a nice job, I thought, in the television series of introducing those of us who are not deep lore fans into who this person is and like what she's all about. But at the same time, leaving a whole bunch of mystery and question, it was like, dang, who is this badass? Like, yeah, you know, Ahsoka kicks ass and like, I yeah, want more. I, wa I want to know more. I want to see more. And so, again, as a casual fan to see a little bit more into how she came to, to you know, the place where she was when she met the Mandalorian. Um, yeah, I thought that was cool. I, I really enjoyed um, that connectivity between. Tales of the Jedi and the Mandalorian. Yeah. All right. So why don't we go quickly? I'm going to go through these episodes, just reading the two sentence Wikipedia sure. summary of each episode, and we can just discuss our general thoughts. Okay. Okay. So episode one was life and death. A year after her birth, an infant Ahsoka Tano is taken on her first hunting trip with her mother, Pavti Tano. Both are surprised by a large predatory animal, which kidnaps Ahsoka. After Ahsoka subdues the animal and has it returned to her to the village, the village elder realizes that she is a Jedi. What were your overall thoughts here, David? This was my least favorite episode. Okay. And it just has to do, there's two things. I mean, I get what they were laying down with the story, and that's all fine. But there are just two things that just bug me. And one is the, um, the sort of, like, uh, idealistic... Um, agrarian society village where there's the wise woman and everybody's, you know, whatever. It just like, I don't, that, that trope just bothers me a little bit. Sure. That, you know, everything's hunky dory if you, you know, the closer you live to the land and, you know, these kinds of things. It's a very idealized, you know, view of life. Now I get it. It's a cartoon. It's, they're trying to tell a particular story. Well, the other thing that I really have a lot of television PTSD over is, the baby thing, right? Like way too much like Scrappy-Doo and all of those things. So like these are my <laughs> own hangups of when they started to create all these baby things to hook people further yeah, into. and all that. Well, Grogu's fine. Like I'm down for Grogu. 
But it was all oh, good. Oh, so we have double standards here. Uh, we Grogu, yes. Grogu transcends that uh, that model. <laughs> uh, maybe because it's like an animatronic puppet, you know, that, so, so that sort of breaks that mold. But, you know, those are my personal hang-ups. Um, I get where the story was going and why they were doing the story. It was just my least favorite. What did you think? I think that I would have felt similarly to you had I not watched Rebels. Uh-huh. But Ezra in Rebels, who's basically the main character, has this thing where he can really sync up with animals via the Force. Okay. And bond with them and sort of not bend them to his will, but sort of talk them into helping him. Right. And I think that having Ahsoka, who has an interesting relationship with Ezra, right. do this as a baby was super interesting to see. Because okay. one, it shows you this woman is profoundly powerful with the Force. True. I mean, she's a baby and she can control this huge beast. True. Um, especially because it's made clear in Rebels that it's really hard to interface like that with predators. Uh-huh. It's mostly easy to do that with like more docile animals. Got it. And it also just like adds to her bond with Ezra, who we know is going to show up in the Ahsoka series. So I think that's important to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think that the the story was not much, right? It was just a very basic thing. Yeah. Um, I think that it was an interesting sort of visual piece and an interesting sort of setup of how powerful Ahsoka is to kick off this series. Right. Which was, I think, necessary in that regard. Yeah. All right. Episode two is called Justice. Jedi Master Dooku and his Padawan, Qui-Gon Jinn, who, by the way, was played by uh, Liam Neeson, again in this, reprised his role, are sent to a planet to retrieve a senator's kidnapped son. As it turns out, the senator is starving and abusing his people, leading to the kidnapping. As the senator attacks and threatens to make an example of all involved, Dooku uses a force choke to intervene, but is stopped by his Padawan before he kills the senator. This one, I think, probably was maybe the biggest head-scratcher for me, but purely because I'm still learning more about this world and, you know, um, and these, these other aspects of it. So, it didn't, this one didn't mean a lot for me. Okay. Okay. This was very Clone Wars-y to me. Okay. Right. Um, so, I've spoken on other Star Wars podcasts about how I feel about the Clone Wars and how I love it. Yeah. The reason is it takes this world that can feel a little 2D in its politics sometimes. Uh-huh. And it gives it this like, wow, these are real people living in these war zones. And these are real people suffering when there is corruption. And it sort of shows you how somebody like Anakin with good intentions could be led to the dark side, seeing all this suffering and seeing the Jedi utterly fail to address it. Right. Now, you see this happening with Dooku before Anakin is involved. Dooku wants to get rid of this corruption, and yet Qui-Gon and the rest of the Jedi Order is like, no, no, we have to play by the rules. And I think that for someone like Dooku, who is passionate about not just order, but like making sure people don't starve, like he has good intentions here. Him getting sort of sidelined by these rules and by these morals espoused by the Jedi Order, really starts to weigh on him. Mm -hmm. And that is a super fascinating thing to watch. So speaking of Dooku, episode three also centers on him. So Jedi Masters Count Dooku and Mace Windu investigate the mysterious death of one of their own. As it turns out, the Senator's Guard killed the Jedi in a failed attempt 
to force a corrupt senator to include them in his plot. After the attackers are subdued, Dooku is passed over as a member of the High Council in favor of Windu, as the Council does not condone his aggressive methods. David, what did you think about the Dooku and Windu banter? Yeah, um, I didn't realize there was like this kind of bad blood. You know, I thought all Jedi were like nice and professional with each other. Like, <laughs> it was not going down here. Oh, have you? What was the last time you watched the prequel trilogy? Uh, I'm not going to say because I don't actually remember. <laughs> well, Mace Windu is kind of a jerk to a lot of his peers. I right. think he is very judgmental towards Anakin. He is very hostile whenever he wants to be. And it's very clear in this that he's uh, he's doing a lot of finger wagging and um, yes, sort of righteous. Uh, uh, you know, like. I'm in the right here and follow protocols and, you know, do the right things. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting because I'm pretty sure, and somebody can write in, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that Mace Windu is actually the one who says in Attack of the Clones, episode two of, uh, you know, the Star Wars main films, oh, Dooku, Count Dooku would never do this kind of egregious attack. He would never put a bounty on Padme because. He's a former Jedi, and former Jedi live by a code, and he would never do that. But yet, you see in this, this kind of goes against that, right? Like, Windu right. is single, is is directly observing Dooku not follow the Jedi code. Right, right. This is where we really start to see uh, Dooku's modus operandi, which is like, okay, there's an important objective here, but I'm not going to follow it in the protocol way. I'm going to take the short, shorter, quicker ways, I'm going to get results, and whatever those methods are that are going to get me results, that's what I'm going to do. In fairness, the Senate is a deeply ineffective right. entity at this point. Right. And that's by design, I think. And Palpatine was not High Chancellor at this time, I'm pretty sure, but he was fomenting dissent and sort of creating these political hurdles for the leaders in ways that prevented anything from getting done and only added to frustration of people like Dooku. And I think that the Clone Wars and the whole prequel era, if you take it at its best, it is showing you how bad faith actors can abuse those who have good intentions and those who want to play by the rules to create situations that put people in their most extreme ideologies. So this kind of touches on some interesting stuff because there's a lot of stuff that's in the Star Wars universe that is kind of lazy story writing and stuff. Um, and, and it's all with the sound effects and visual effects and things like that. But then when you start to really look at these storylines, you're like, whoa, there's stuff going on here, right? Like there's like, they're really talking about and dealing with issues of power and uh, structure, societal structures, and um, uh, succession, and uh, yeah, it, it, it gets really deep and really interesting um, in this way that I don't think I was really expecting. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of the Clone Wars is Palpatine needs to get these Jedi off their balance by forcing them into these general roles. Right. When they wanted to be peacekeepers the whole time. But he's like, no, I'm going to force you to be off your rhythm, to be spread out, to be unsure of who you are at this point, and then I'm going to turn everybody against you. Right. And so I really think that if you dig deeper into the politics of the prequel trilogy, which you can in Clone Wars, again, I will plug, watch that, it's very good. <laughs> 
George Lucas is an amazing big ideas man. And when he has someone else writing the script for him, it's just an amazing ride. The problem is George Lucas can't write dialogue for shit. (laughs) And so then you have, I don't like sand. Right. (laughs) And then you, it's hard to see what he's trying to do. But if you really go into how other people have helped him flesh out this series and how other people have helped him realize this idea of this political quagmire that's created by the emperor to foment frustration, anger, people getting ready for a fascist regime. That is a super interesting story. And I hope that uh, Tales of the Jedi is a gateway for people to go deeper into things like Clone Wars and Rebels. All right, so the next story is called The Sith Lord. That is episode four, and it's go- and it goes like this. After Qui-Gon informs the High Council of his encounter with Darth Maul on Tatooine, Dooku warns him that the Council will not take him seriously. After Qui-Gon's death, Jedi Master Yaddle discovers that Dooku has been collaborating with another Sith Lord, Darth Sidious. Confronting them, Yaddle is killed by Dooku in order to preserve his secret, solidifying his fall to the dark side. Wow, this was a great fight scene. David, what'd you think? Yeah, this is really where I think the back half of these episodes really started to grab my attention. It was like, okay, you know, I had to kind of get through the first one and we've got some, you know, middle stuff. And then suddenly like, whoa, wait a minute. We've got some like real evil bad guys here. Um, we got some, you know, badass fight scenes. Like it was, it was very cool. And, and again, I'm learning more about the universe, um, seeing Yaddle who I knew existed, but didn't really know anything about her. Um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, cool to see Dooku's evolution, um, and, you know, see the moment of the fall, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. That is when Saruman decides to be one with the ring, right? He that's when Saruman decides he wants the ring is when Yaddle is killed by Dooku. And Yaddle really went down with a fight, right? I mean, gets crushed by all that stuff and just lifts it up. Yeah, yeah, right, that door, that big door. So this sort of gets into the rule of 2 as well since it takes concurrent takes place concurrently with uh the Phantom Menace. Right. Now that's the rule where the Sith Lords there can only be two Sith at any given time. Right. There's a master and an apprentice. Right. And then eventually it is always the way that the apprentice will get more powerful than the master, kill the master, and take on a new apprentice. Right. Okay. So they, yeah. Nice. uh (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, dark side people. What are you going to do? Right. But uh, Palpatine is like, rule of two, I don't care. Uh, So he sort of takes on Maul as his apprentice, but trains him to be a weapon and very disposable. Uh-huh. Whereas Dooku's his other apprentice. There's also wishy-washy stuff about was Plagueis alive at the time. Plagueis was Sidious's uh, master, Pal- Palpatine's master. Um, really a lot of Palpatine just fucking with the rule of two. Like, he just does not care. Right. <laughs> He's the emperor. Yeah, yeah. Not yet, but he will be. Right, right. Okay, Episode 5, we're back with Ahsoka. Practice makes perfect. Disappointed with the battle simulation she has to fulfill, Anakin Skywalker devises a rigorous exercise for his Padawan, Ahsoka, where she has to overcome a group of clones. Practicing the drill for years, Ahsoka is able to survive Order 66 during the seventh season of Star Wars The Clone Wars. So, that's Anakin, right? That's her, her uh, that's Anakin, master. Yeah. 
By the way, Matt Lanter, who plays Anakin as the voice actor in most of Clone Wars, uh-huh. much better Anakin than Hayden Christensen, in my opinion, really captures the character and makes him into a complex guy. That's cool. That's good to know when I start to watch it. Yeah, poor. I feel bad for Hayden Christensen. It's, he's had a. It was a rough run for him. He's back, though. He's back as Vader in a lot of stuff. He's going to be... I've actually just seen an article saying that Hayden Christensen is going to be doing some fancy stuff with Rosario Dawson in Ahsoka. Oh, cool. Oh, that'd be great. Well, good for him. I hope that that works out. And I hope that... that um, I hope that works out and, and uh, he has a good time doing it. You know, I think he's... Yeah. You know, he had a rough... He had a rough go. So what I thought was interesting out of this was, I mean, isn't it Anakin who who is like part of order 66, right? Yeah. The Sith Lord who will help execute order 66 trains his Padawan to survive it. Yeah. Like I, th- I really liked that. I thought that was a cool thing. And I liked using the clone troopers and the like, Oh, you know, how long have you, how long have I been out waking up? Oh yeah. I thought this was a very cool sort of, it took the whole training montage uh, trope and, did something fun with it and, and, and twisted it in a way that was interesting and then really gave us more insight into Ahsoka's abilities and how she got so good and um, the tenacity that someone like her has to have just to do that over and over and over again and trying to extend your skills further and further. That, that just had to have been exhausting. Yeah. Really gives you a lot of respect for her, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she had to learn from Darth Vader. So basically uh, yes. tough teacher. Yeah. Tough teacher. And great. Like, I, I like that, that it was, you know, she's training against real people who are going to operate in a real way, not a drone where you could probably figure out the drone's firing algorithm. Right. Right. Exactly. And um, I, I mean, this is in a war where they are fighting against droids. Like there's no right practical current reason for her to do this. Sure. Practice. Yeah. But Anakin goes, no, my Padawan is going to be prepared for anything, Interesting. even the unlikely. His hubris and, and uh, arrogance in that regard actually saves her life, and then that's going to play yeah. out. That's going to be very important later on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the last episode is called Resolve. Yep. After Padme Amidala's death and the fall of the Republic, depicted in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith and the seventh season of Star Wars The Clone Wars, Ahsoka goes into hiding and becomes a farmer. After the brother of a farmer she saved with the Force realizes her true identity and reports her to the Empire, the village is massacred by an Inquisitor. Ahsoka kills the Inquisitor and joins the Rebellion. Pretty terrifying Inquisitor. Yeah. The Inquisitors in general are just a really terrifying bunch. I didn't watch all of Obi-Wan yet, but from what I saw, they were kind of underutilized and underserved. I think so. I think so. Um, This one was a much... I, I enjoyed... The terror of this Inquisitor much more than what we got in um, in Obi Wan. Who and they were like at least one of the Inquisitors was kind of um, that that comical evil. Like I will kill you, you know that. Like <laughs> oh come on, I'm, you don't scare anybody, you know. Yeah. Um, and it just was a little bit silly. Where this guy was like, oh, I would not want to meet him in a dark alley. No way, no how. Right. Yeah, no, the Inquisitors and Rebels are way more terrifying than the ones in Obi-Wan. I think that, I think that they're kind of weird looking and they're, you know, because they're, they're not human, most of them. Right. And so it's kind of hard to capture the terrifying nature of them in live action, especially like 
some of the lightsaber stuff, like you just probably couldn't do it in live action. I don't know, maybe effects have gotten that way, but like there's literally a thing in Rebels where one of the Inquisitor like detaches the center of his lightsaber so that he can use his spinning lightsaber as a helicopter. Oh god. <laughs> wow. Like there's just some crazy stuff with right. the Inquisitors. And I just don't know if you could do that live action at this point. It's going to be tough to be a Jedi in hiding. Yeah. Because stuff is going to happen and and uh, you're going to react and want to use your powers, right? Uh, and and yeah. you end up giving yourself away. And so you are you end up being a danger to everyone around you. Well, that was actually a line that I liked in Obi-Wan. I don't remember how it was phrased, but they said, like, these Jedi, they always give themselves away because yes. they can't help but help people. Exactly. Exactly what I was thinking with that line. Yeah. Now... I will also plug, if you want more Jedi in hiding, I'm doing a playthrough every now and then of Jedi Fallen Order on our new Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash lorehound. So if you want to be alerted when I'm live with that and just chatting about Star Wars generally with the viewers, uh, subscribe on uh, twitch.tv slash lorehounds. You're all in on Star Wars, aren't you? I am all in on Star Wars <laughs> and uh, Fallen Order is such a fun game and it is canon. Uh -huh. And I think that they're probably going to bring the main character into, into the screen eventually. Nice. All right, David, I think that's all we have to say on Tales of the Jedi. So it was a fun ride. It's like a 90-minute total season, and I hope people will check it out if they haven't. Uh, when we get back from the break, we're going to tackle some Andor feedback that le got left on the cutting room floor at our season wrap. And we're back. David, get us started on some Andor feedback. Sure. First up, we've got Viyama. He's one of our active Discord members and a member of our Bald Move Art Club. So over on our Discord, we've got a group of users who make all of our emoji and stickers and show title cards and stuff like that. They're a great group of folks, and uh, Viyama is a big help in that regard. So Viyama made the artwork for Andor, actually, for our Andor podcast. Yeah. So, totally awesome. Uh, anyway, he says, Hey, Viyama from the Discord here. I thought it was an interesting cultural mark reference the marching bands. I have an impression that marching bands are very much a school thing in the US. As an Englishman, my first reaction was a working man's band, and that's exactly what we got. There's a very strong analogy between Ferrix and the communities that fought the shutdowns of mines and the loss of manufacturing in the north of England during the 80s. Viyama continues, uh, check out the Brassed Off film, which was uh, released in 1996, featuring Star Wars alum Ewan McGregor for the theme I'm talking about. Thatcher's Tories as the evil empire? Question mark? Many thought so. Thanks for the excellent pod, John, aka Viyama. That's really interesting. What do you think, John? Yeah, I mean, marching bands are definitely a thing in the US. My dad was in the marching band. The SpongeBob episode? Let's show Squidward what it's like to be in a marching band. Do you know that one, David? No, I'm not a Sponge Van. Uh, I'm going to leave that one in because somebody's going to enjoy that joke. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, but yeah, no, that's a that's a super uh, a super American thing with like high schools, colleges, and I do think that that's right. That like in military parades and things like that, you will see a marching band. So. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was not a thing that happens more globally, but apparently it is. Have you ever seen uh, Batala? 
um, which is a, a woman's drumming corps. They were big around the New York. They w- would wear these red and white outfits. and I have not. Oh, my God. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, sort of a Brazilian-inspired uh, group. Yeah, and a lot of high schools and colleges, the marching band is a huge deal, and, and people really get into it. And obviously, we have it at parades, but a lot of street festivals and fairs, you'll see some sort of uh, core. But I think what Viama is laying down here is with this is a bit more of a quote unquote working class, you know, something where they're not mm. professional musicians who aren't practicing all the time, but they get together every once in a while. And uh, I could see where he's picking up that vibe um, in terms of the north of England, especially in the the eighties with Thatcher and stuff like that. And there was yeah, um, wasn't there one village that was like uh, there was a it was a terrible accident where like uh, the school was there's like an avalanche of coal ash or something like that. Really horrible stuff. Um, so yeah, no, I, I pick up that vibe totally. That's a good call. Cool. All right. Next up is Will S from Schenectady, New York. Will makes a bunch of good points. A few we should be able to answer and a few are open-ended issues. So Will starts, guys, first off, love the show. I discovered it looking for a Lord of the Rings Rings of Power podcast. You guys are great. Hey, thanks, Will. David, you're not editing out the praise. No, no. (laughs) Andor is nearly perfect in almost every measurable way. Visually stunning, thoughtful musical scores, editing, pace, but most importantly, acting and writing are masterful. Another podcast commented that episode 10 would have made a better season ender, but I would agree we needed to get Cassian to this moment with Luthen, so I think this Rick's Road had to play out before ending the season. But if I'm being as absolutely critical as one can be, here are my few issues with the finale. One, I find it hard to believe the Empire would still allow traffic on and off Ferrex without thorough checks, knowing that Cassian was likely on his way. Perhaps a quick scene of him stowing away would have solved that. Okay, I'm going to answer this one. The reason they needed Cassian to get there and get on planet is that they thought that he would be attracting Luthen, attracting Axis. So they needed him to think that he was safe on the planet so that he would go contact other people involved. That's my headcanon, is that, like, they couldn't have just picked him up on a ship, because sure, they get Cassian, but the real prize is Axis. Right. Um, I read this more about, like, just getting Axis down to a planet. Like, you can be cruising through space, and that seems a little easy, but when you're orbiting planets and there's a lot of stuff, like, yeah, I'm surprised at how much traffic goes up and down off of a planet, but then I suppose it's not very easy. I don't know. What do you think? Do you want me to talk about hyperspace lanes here? Sure. <laughs> okay, so there's an idea in Star Wars called hyperspace lanes where uh-huh. it's like, I can, sure, if I'm like in the area, I can go down to the planet, but I'm moving slowly, so it's going to be really easy for an Imperial ship to get me. If I want to get down to a planet quickly, I'm going to need a hyperspace lane, which lets me jump directly to basically like right before the atmosphere of the planet, and then I can get in. So that's how you sneak in. You got to sneak past the Empire with a hyperspace lane. So that's why it's easy for the empire to blockade planets because all they have to do is go to the end of a hyperspace lane and park a ship there right and then you just kind of smash it i just parked some right. junk there i suppose well you park the ship there that way you could use your tractor beam pullman right okay um but so i think that that's a very convenient plot thing in star wars and uh which i'm fine with you know what i mean like it, it's an in-universe explanation of why this is hard because this is how hyperspace travel works in this universe right um so that's we don't how think too hard work yeah, we don't think right. too hard about the science of Star Wars. Right, right. There is no science. It's literally, we have space lasers on the Force. 
All right, so second question. Wouldn't Luthen have made some effort to take out Bix, knowing that she's seen him before? David, you want to take this one? Yeah, I think the plan was to take out the uh, Imperial headquarters, which was the hotel, and that, that would have taken out Bix simultaneously. So I, I did think about this. Um, Cinta and Vel would have known that Bix was being held because uh, they were watching Marva's place and they saw Bix before all of that went down. So they know where she's at. So I think what Luthen was planning was to take everybody out in one fell swoop. And obviously that got disrupted. So I, th I think that's, yeah. uh, I think we can close the book on that case file. That's a pretty good take. I like it. Yep. Number three, how did Cassian know where to find Luthen's ship? This was maybe the first scene in the entire series that felt completely predictable and contrived. I love this dialogue, but I didn't like how it was set up. Even a quick scene showing Cassian getting a glance of Luthen's ship landing or tailing Luthen back to his ship would solve this for me. I have the answer here. Okay. Um, this is the exact same place Luthen parked in episode three whenever he came down. Yep. So, first of all, I, I will say it's a little unrealistic that Luthen Master Spy is parking in the same spot every time he goes to a planet. <laughs> um, but it, maybe it's just like the perfect spot. Yeah. And he just can't give it up, you know? He just can't stop parking here. Hey, man, if you've ever lived in New York City, you know the value of a good parking spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to, there was like a particular church I used to park in front of in, uh -huh. uh, in New York City when I lived there. And I always got side-eyed from, <laughs> from the attendees. <laughs> nice. But you know what? It was a great spot. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, Cassian spied Luthen when he was up on that building, and in that moment, and I think that's the cool thing about what Tony Gilroy is doing with the dial, you know, with the, the script writing of the show, is like he didn't need to tell us anything, and if he had said, you know, if we had had a scene with Cassian there, I think it would have lessened the surprise. I think the surprise at Luthen coming on board a ship. And having all the security systems disabled was like, uh-oh. I thought that was a really great surprise, uh, is what it was. And, and it was exciting and, and titillating in that way. Because if I think they'd given us a teaser, it would have had less of an impact. At least that's my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. Good take, David. Good take. Uh, there's a couple unanswered questions that he wanted to raise. Uh, just quickly, when Brasso and Bix are getting on the ship, to escape the show, spends a lot of shoe leather about the fuel gauge not working while the ship is being fueled. Could Pegla have set the escapers up with a ship that could run out of fuel or crash? Just a thought. That is a interesting question. They really did overplay the refueling of the ship. And um, this show doesn't waste um, shots like that. So, yeah. Why did they do that? Why did Gilroy put that in there? Um, is this a Chekhov's fuel gauge? I don't know, but that would be really tragic. I'd be really angry at losing Brazo and Bix and, and B2. But from a character motivation standpoint, boy, that would sure be fire in um, Andor's belly. Well, I don't think they're going to kill them off, but I think that they could certainly end up lost on some kind of planet that Cassian doesn't expect them to be on. Sure. Uh, once again, I love the show. Can't wait for season two. Hoping Rings of Power writers can take some tip on character <laughs> development and pacing from this show. Enough with the mystery boxes. Just tell a good fucking story already. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed, Will. Yes, we are. We are on the same. We're on the same page there, my friend. Yep. Josh B writes in with something we might have missed. Hey guys, got a quick take and a little tidbit you may have missed. 
As far as how this show stacks up against the golden era TV shows like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, etc., I find it's kind of tough to compare just because it has so much to draw upon and it's only two seasons. What I can tell you is that for sure, for me, there hasn't been a show ever that I have anticipated coming out every week as much as this one. The last 10 weeks Wednesdays have been like Christmas. I absolutely agree with Josh P here. I was more excited. I like I would like seriously think about like okay, what do I have to do tomorrow morning? Can I wake up at like 4 or 5 and like watch the episode in bed on my laptop yep. before I was start waking my up day? before work every week? Yeah. Like totally. Totally agree with you on that. So anyway, here's the thing you might not have caught. Bix was shown a picture of Krieger in episode 11 and asked if it was her contact, Access, as the ISB refers to him. We don't see her answer, but we know she didn't lie. When Dedra finds out everyone in Krieger's crew was killed, Partagas tells her, if you want to start a conversation, find out who Access is. So, the ISB knows they didn't get their man in Krieger, nor do they think that they crushed the rebellion in one fell swoop as Luthen had assumed. This kind of throws a wrench into Luthen's plans to operate under the radar following the sacrifice of Krieger. Anyway, that's all, guys. Keep up the good work, Josh. Here's my take on why that's interesting. They clearly wanted to paint a picture for the Emperor that this was Axis, that this was the mastermind behind Aldani, because they wanted to wash away the, what was it, wash away the stink the of Aldani. Yeah. And so now you're going to have a situation where the ISB is afraid to tell the Empire, afraid to tell the Emperor, yeah, we didn't get the guy. We, we didn't do it. So right. uh, we're, we're still looking. So, you know, Vader's going to force choke everybody if, if that happens. So <laughs> we don't want that. And so now you're going to have a situation where Partagaz needs to really quickly do the work to make up his late assignment mm -hmm. on Axis. And where does Detra came, come into play with that? Because she has royally fucked up her job here. Right. Like this whole thing where she allowed Ferrix to organize this rally and it ended up being a riot and a ton of ISB and, and general uh, Imperial officers were killed all because she was cocky enough to think that she could beat Cassian Andor at his own game. She's going to get fired or she's going to get demoted and put in a, a cubicle somewhere. Right. Or is she going to make it back? Uh, or right. yeah. So, or be put under her own uh, torture methods here. Yeah. Dr. Gorse is like, hello, Dedra. The that's the thing about working for an evil empire is like I'm terrified that I'm going to get force choked. So am I going to tell you the truth? Am right. I going to sit down and have an honest debate with you about what are the facts as we see them? Uh, what's the best strategy here? At least with Partagas, it seems like he may be tough, but he's going to take your input. And if your input is good, you know, let's turn it into something. But then he is, he has a boss too, right? He has right. to answer up. And that's all that politics and politics of perception. And we can see real life examples of that here on earth and with past governments where you might have a strong man or a, a dictator of some kind or an a, a apparatus um, where if you tell the truth, you know, you, you, you get sent to the fields or you, you know, you might lose your life or get sent to a, a prison somewhere. Um, right. And that's an inherent flaw in, in those kinds of setups of political power. Yeah. All right. So next we have Mike Y writing in with a note about Cassian's sister. Greetings, Lorehounds. Love the show. 
I was kind of surprised that the plotline of Cassian's search for his sister wasn't revisited towards the end of the season. I thought for sure after Marva's death, Cassian would be reminded of family and maybe we'd get a flashback to his childhood and a renewed quest to find her. Maybe it will get picked up again in the next season. Perhaps Dedra and Karn will learn of her existence and it'll be a race to find her. Surely Luthen could use his vast resources to aid him in his search. Thoughts? Mike. You know, uh, I think it's a good open question about Cassian's sister and whether it comes around. People have been theorizing, oh, is it Bix? Is it, uh, is it Cinta? And I feel like those would be, those would lessen the show if they went in that direction. Um, that would be a normal show would pick up like Cinta as the lost sister. Um, Bix, we clearly know, was on Ferrix. She grew up on Ferrix and, and at one time, Maybe when they were teenagers, him and um, Cassian, uh, her and Cassian dated at some point. Um, so it's clearly not her, but Cinta is a theory that people are putting around. I and I and I don't like it personally. I don't. I don't go in for that particular theory. Agreed. That said, they did spend as as uh, we've said here some shoe leather on that. So what are they going to do with it? Is that going to be a motivator? Is that going to be uh, a um, kind of bind that Cassian gets into, like her identity is discovered, and then that leads to complications for Cassian. I don't know. Um, it could is easily be dropped as well. Like we may never know the answer to that. Well, Diego Luna said in a recent interview that the search isn't over. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Now take that with a grain of salt because he's not a writer; he's an actor in the show. Right. Right. But I believe they're already shooting season two, so he must yes. know something. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. If if that if that happens, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if that uh, presents a complication for uh, Cassian and and Luthen in in some way, shape, or form. Right. Right. No, I think that it would be interesting to see the search continue. I kind of don't want him to find her. Like, I kind of want to believe that at the end of Rogue One, he's still hoping that she's out there somewhere. Right. I yeah. Well, and we've talked about this in some other podcasts, like getting away from the Cinderella story ed- endings. And um, dealing with what is often sometimes very real, uh, which are disappointing results after right. effort or struggle or, you know, when you're trying to achieve something. So Mike White would rip Cassie into shreds <laughs> if he wrote this show. Could we get uh, Mike White and uh, uh, Tony Gilroy together in a room to write a script? That would be an interesting <laughs> story. What would Mike White's Star Wars show look like? Oh, my God. I have no idea. Like... Could you do? No, I have no idea. That that hurts my brain trying to think about it. <laughs> you got to check out the White Lotus if you don't know what we're talking That's about. Right. Mike White's the showrunner over there. We had some great conversations this season. Really excellent show. Yeah. All right. Our last email, Hugh writes in with more praise for the show. Hey, David and John. I think you've probably recorded your season recap, but thought I'd send this bit of feedback from Ireland anyway. You made it, Hugh. I really loved all the LOTR pods and really glad you're doing Andor. Highly suggest The Clone Wars, by the way. The Bad Batch is worth a watch, too. Well, as it happens, John, you're in the middle of Clone Wars? I'm in season four now. Oh, nice. And I just finished season one of Bad Batch. Um, Took me a while to get into Bad Batch, but I'm hooked. I'm I'm ready for season two. Um, Hugh says, on to Andor. I just can't get over how good the show is. Considering they effectively had three finales in the season and nailed each one, just says it all for the quality of the writing and the production in general. I think you're selling it short. That's that's it was like four finales. Yeah. 
really. And and to hit every single one of them and not um and not uh, not for us to get bored along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. He continues, however, I am concerned and a bit annoyed that Andor has not, in my view, received the marketing and media push from Disney that other shows in the Disney stable have. MCU shows and Star Wars shows like Kenobi and Mando. Do you think Disney will fix this for the second season? I'm worried Andor won't hit the metrics in terms of eyeballs that Disney has for its TV shows due to this, and this production really deserves some recognition during award seasons. Anecdotally, my friends haven't really heard of Andor. I've corrected this, and plenty of them are Star Wars fans. As well, I'm really looking forward to your coverage of The Wheel of Time. So are we. My favorite series of books. John, you got another book fan. That's um, great. And to get your views on hopefully a much better season two. We agree. Thanks for all the work to date, guys. And best of luck with the newborn John. Best, Hugh. Hey, thanks, Hugh. Obi-Wan's doing well. That's what I'm calling him on the podcast. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I um, I don't disagree with Hugh here about the concern for the production, but they're already shooting. We've had a shakeup at Disney. Uh, Bob Iger is back in charge, and he is a known friendly to creatives. And I think whatever happens with how successful the show is on the initial viewings, I think this is going to be one of those shows that really hangs in there in the background, gets a lot of rewatches, gets a lot of low-key buzz, and um, I'm, I'm not worried. Um, and, and it's good that we only have two seasons, because then that way we don't have to worry, is, oh, is season three, season four, are they going to cut it, or what's going to happen? Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, no, we got a, a beginning, middle, and end. We know exactly what we're landing on, uh, the step-off point for Rogue One. And for me, as a fan, that feels good because then I don't have all that anxiety and worry about like, oh, where are they going? And will we ever get there? Because the studio decides to cut it off. So somebody posted in the Bald Move Discord recently, and they were talking about how the golden age of streaming is kind of over. Uh -huh. uh, pause in 20. I'm just looking at the post now. Okay. Um, and... Basically, a ton of these streaming services are starting to cancel a lot of shows. Yes. But Disney and Amazon were the notable exceptions, I believe, and uh, and Apple, too. Uh-huh. So they are still in the growth phase. I think Disney is still a little insecure in its subscriber base, and I think that they will continue to greenlight shows and avoid canceling them. Now, if this were HBO, this would be off the air tomorrow. I mean, <laughs> Westworld may as well have never existed now. Have you heard about this, David? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they took Westworld off the service. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on there. I, I, I'm less inclined to um, react to that news by lighting my hair on fire. Um, I think it has to do with some of the, the legalese and the contract and stuff. I think, as I understand it, all of the shows that they've taken down off of HBO, because there's like five or six of them, have been returned to the studio that produced them. So they now own their rights back, which is a good okay. thing, because then they could sell them to another service. So I think whatever's going on with HBO, which I cannot follow, um, the, at least with Disney, the Battle of the Bobs was pretty straightforward. Like there was... Bob one and Bob two and you know Bob two got the boot and Bob one came back right okay pretty straightforward with HBO and Discovery and they're blending and melding some stuff and they're like are they actually really going to get rid of the HBO name on a bunch of shows or or tear down the oh, HBO that's weird. yeah it's it's bizarre because HBO 
I remember HBO when I was a kid in uh, fourth grade, um, some twins that lived over uh, uh, across the way, they had like HBO and HBO videotapes or something like that. And HBO was just like synonymous with quality, like from very early on. And so yeah. to, to, to mess with that brand, I think is a really bad idea. Um, but I'm not so worried about the shows because I, th- that, that got taken off because I think they went back to their home studios so that could be relicensed somewhere else. Well, let's hope. And anyway, that's a really roundabout way of saying, I don't think we have to worry about Andor because it only has one more season and it's not going to get Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that more people will discover it over time. I think you're right, David. I think it's a great show that ages well. And I think word of mouth will do the show really well for season two. I really need to do a re- rewatch over the season break. I've been trying to catch up on some of my 2022 um, uh, rewatching. Uh, you should just start the Clone Wars. That's really what should happen. Yeah, I finished. I, Bad Batch is coming <laughs> up. Um, yeah, I've been, yeah. My spouse and I have been watching Tokyo Vice, and I started to watch the English. But that is really weird. That is a really weird show, but I'm into right. it. So. Well, we'll talk about it next second breakfast, I guess. Yes. All right, let's do our programming notes quickly. So first of all, thanks to all our patrons. You can you know, you know can go on patreon.com slash the lorehounds if you want to join us and support us directly. For as little as $3 a month, you can get ad-free and early episodes. But a, a special thank you to our uh, $10 tier lore masters, Michael G., Mark H., and Samartian, who are just our extra fervent supporters. We appreciate you and the rest of our patrons, and we hope you have happy holidays. It's New Year's in a few days and uh, a great new year's to everyone we'll be doing kaleidoscope in january not sure how we're covering it yet because netflix has not told us exactly how they're releasing it but you can expect more from us at the lorehounds in january thanks so much for a great year and we will see you soon right into star wars at the lorehounds.com with your feedback thanks the Andor podcast is produced by the lorehounds and published by bald move You can send questions and feedback about this podcast to andor at thelorehounds.com. For all Lorehounds content, subscribe to our Firehost feed, The Lorehounds, on your podcast app of choice. To get ad-free versions of this and all other Lorehounds podcasts, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.